plan on leaving, um, in our discussion of Christian spirituality, I plan on leaving the concept, the doctrine of marriage, husbands and wives, um, behind after this, this little brief discussion today. We spent a lot of time on it. Two or three messages directed toward the wives, several toward the husbands. Probably two and two, actually. This would be the third time I'm going to whip up on the husbands. And um, uh, I, as we start, start out on this concept of marriage and husbands and so forth, I'm calling it receiving benefits and being beneficial in marriage. I want to, um, I want to point out how the Bible teaches marriage in the church-age spiritual life how we're supposed to think of it, be filled by the Spirit with the result of submitting one to another, and then wives to your husbands and the, and the, and the Lord and everything, and the husbands love your wives and put yourself out for her better, uh, for her best and these things. <clears throat> it divides the tasks into the individual responsibilities. That's the really important insight for, ha- for the household code. It never says, uh, servants, look at your masters, evaluate if they're treating you well, and then you decide how to behave based on their treatment. That never says, children, if your parents are fair, obey your parents. It doesn't do that. It doesn't say, look at the other person and how they conduct their responsibility, and then you decide how you'll do your job. It just says, you've got your lane, watch your lane, do your job. They've got their lane, they need to watch their lane, do their job. And this is the amazing thing. I have enough on my plate just with the responsibilities God has given me. In fact, sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed with those responsibilities. Those are times, I think, in my life when God is saying, hey, you need to be talking to me. Hey, you're not, you're not putting this in my hands. You, you think you're, you've got some things over here that you're trusting to me, but this, you've got this, this part. And you can't even do that. Lord, I can't even walk across the street without your help, without your support. And that's the idea um, that I want to bring home uh, it, it, the series of commands and responsibilities place everybody in their, in their harness for the Lord, what you're supposed to do. And this is how you, apparently, I think this is the model for marriage counseling. If you want to say, say a wise Christian brother or sister come alongside you and help you with some wise counsel, the most important insight in the world is, wait a second, I, I know you got all this stuff you're dealing with, all this emotional stuff, all these patterns, all this broken communication, and all the reasons that you can't forgive. But have you looked at, first of all, before you get into all the reasons that it's bad, have you thought about what is your job and are you doing your job? Oh, but they, you can't, you can't benefit from the simplicity of this if you always drive to the complexity but it is complex i know it's impossibly complex the dynamics of a relationship some some of us men look at that complexity of what a relationship a real rapport with our wives would be and we say too hard can't manage it somebody turn on the tv quick we can't stand the idea of a complex thing we can't manage but the way we manage it the way we will manage it will be with the simplicity of our responsibilities. The simplicity of our responsibilities. And we've said um, there are different roles for different functions. Different functions, different roles, different persons. Husbands are not wives. Wives are not husbands. We have different authorities in terms of the structure God has designed for marriage. Husband is head, wife is body. And uh, that is not because of the curse of the, of the fall in the garden in Genesis 3. That's from God's creation order in Genesis 2 when man was created first and ne- then needed a help meet for the mission God had given him. And God created woman and simultaneously marriage by creating woman 
for the man. And that, that that establishes a unity, a one flesh relationship where we have differing roles to bring about the success of the entire organism. And so today, we're, we're seeking to understand just how vital a husband's love for his wife is in terms of her success. And I've, I've harangued you with this. Uh, those of you that missed on Wednesday, um, I didn't see anybody bring any uh, absentee slips in uh, when you missed Wednesday night, but, uh, um, but you are here this morning. I'm, I got 17 rules out of Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 33, and I call it the husband list. 17 rules. And the, the big surprise to me on this was, in verse 26, he says, Husbands, if you're going to love your wives the way Christ loved the church, then you have to communicate with her. He sanctifies the church by the washing of water with the word so that he can present the church to himself. So he, he sets us apart to himself by his word, by his communication. And that's the secret, I think, to how we would start to answer the question, how can I love her like God wants me to? It's going to be with communication. It's going to set her apart to you. It's going to set her apart to the Lord. It's going to be spiritual in part. Anyway, the husband list, if you want the notes, we, we still have it. Um, <clears throat> Mike Regal likes to say that I don't like to walk across the street uh, <laughs> to, uh, to... I guess we can't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't walk across the street to get in a fight. You avoid the conflict. Um, well, this would be, this is way better than your honeydew list. Put this on the refrigerator, gentlemen, and think through it. What it would be if I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. The, the 17 rules for, um, to internalize and live out in the power of God, the Holy Spirit as a husband. And so you can check that out if you want to pull up the audio or the video on the website. But um, today I want to just strictly talk about application. How do we love her? How do I love my wife as I'm supposed to? And what will this look like in terms of the husband's individual responsibility in the marriage? And I'm calling it benefits, receiving benefits, and being beneficial. And the first thing I want to say is that if you're approaching your marriage, if a man approaches his marriage, or a woman hers even, that what do I get out of this? You're going to be a failure. Because it's not about what do you get, as you know. It's about what do I give as far as the Lord commands me. What is my job in worship to God? And that means I'm going to be giving. And He's going to be filling me up with resources so that I can give. And that's the idea. But, um, but with that mindset firmly ensconced, I want to ask, have we thought through what are the benefits of being a husband? Now, I said individual responsibilities. You've got four main sections here on this talk. And the first is benefits of being a husband, but the third one is is benefits of having a wife. The benefits of being a husband, I am differentiating for for this discussion from the benefits of having a wife. I mean, it's... Uh, one of my favorites, Proverbs eighteen twenty two. who finds a wife has a good thing. God has is, God is blessed you if you have a wife. What, the benefit of it being a husband, well, that's having a wife. I'm saying, think about what happens to you, men. What happens to a man if he takes a wife? What is the difference in him? What is the benefit to a husband? Think about this. Because if you will, you will start to appreciate your wife, perhaps in a way you never have before, and she needs that. Having a wife changes us. It improves us, at least in some particulars. You have Proverbs 12.4. Who can beat me to Proverbs 12.4? No fair, I already knew I was going there. 
An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Oh, from the misogynistic scriptures. You know the Bible hates women, right? No, the Bible tells you the value of womanhood and promotes woman like, no, like, like nothing else in the universe. Because this is what God, the creator of womanhood, the lover of womanhood, thinks of womanhood. Woman, in Proverbs 12, 4, is powerful. She's powerful. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but a woman who shames him can destroy him. Bone cancer, rottenness to his bones. This is, this is not saying woman is bad. This is saying woman is powerful. But you need to walk by the Spirit to walk with that power as you should. What does Proverbs 18.22 say? You single men should know this. What's up? You should know this. You married men should know it too. Probably for greater reason. Anybody got it? Jerry? Yeah. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing favor Alright, that word favor I think is a reference to what she is to him. A woman is God's grace gift to a man. And it's, it's a blessing from God. Next time you want to get angry and say, she just, if she would just, if next time you want to complain and be angry, remember this verse. This woman is God's grace for you. Favor from the Lord. 1914 saith, house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. How beautiful is that? Think about that. We're supposed to pass something down to our children. Paul says as much as well. This is, part of the, the, this is part of God's design is that you build multi-generational wealth from multi-generational prudence and wisdom, but you can't do this multi-generational thing get a wife that way. Your parents can't make one for you. They can build you a nest egg or whatever and pass it on to you to, to, to capitalize you and your children and them and their children, but, but they can't make a wife with wisdom who serves God. God has to do that. It's beautiful. So what are the benefits of being a husband? I would say, first of all, think about this with me, guys. When you receive responsibility and duty, it changes you because it calls out the man in you. You recognize I have work to do, I have duty, and that changes my life. The problem, I think, with our young men and our civilization is that we haven't figured out how to, to lay responsibility on them that we've prepared them for so that then they manage it. It's kind of like the gyroscopic forces that keep a bicycle up or a motorcycle. The gyroscopic forces that, for some reason, two wheels spinning this way mean we have stability this way, right? That's what we mean by gyroscopic forces. It's a really interesting thing God did in physics, but that's how a bicycle works. You have balance, but, you, but how does it work? How, does, how do we get to that balance so that a bicycle goes? You have to go. You have to actually sit on it get some speed, get some momentum, and the danger zone is when you're so slow that you don't have those forces in place. You know when you first get on a bike after a few years, some of you are like, I can imagine. <laughs> it's kind of rickety at first, but what do we say? Because of gyroscopic forces, it's just like, just like riding a bike. You just get back on and learn it. You know, you, you know again because, oh yeah, after so much speed, I've got stability. 
this is, I think, how responsibility works. I've got to take it on to, to rise to it. And if I don't take it on, I don't rise to it. And that's why every little leadership program, whether it's cadets for the service academies, I went to the, the Army one, whether it's that, or whether it's Boy Scouts, every organization that I've seen that, that does any kind of leadership development starts pushing responsibility as soon as you understand the organizational precepts. As soon as you understand this is our organizational mission statement, this is who we are, we start giving you, you're now an assistant squad leader. You better check out your, you know, your section, your three guys. You better make sure they have their stuff. And it becomes this thing where you take on more responsibility and you fail. And you fail uh, horribly. I remember in Boy Scouts, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the Boy Scouts have this coveted position that they vote, they elect. And every Boy Scout troop, let's say you got 150, 100 kids in a a troop, in a good troop. And and, uh, they have the, the, the scout that's in charge of all of them. One ring to rule them all. The, the one in charge of all the different little groups of the, uh, the, the, the platoons are called squads, but the one in charge, the company commander, is called the senior patrol leader. When you're a little kid, when you're 11 years old, and that's a little kid, and you're looking at the 16-year-old that's in charge of the whole outfit. Now, there's men adult scout masters that are really in charge but they delegate everything and he pl- he has to plan everything and he supervises everything when they when you're 11 you look at that 16 year old and you say wow what a jerk <laughs> <laughs> it's your first lesson in in observed leadership but you don't see as 11 years old you don't see the third or fourth night at the summer camp that senior patrol leader at 11 o'clock sitting out with the old men having coffee, that he's not having coffee, they're having coffee, all snotted up crying that he's failing because he doesn't know how to do it and it's just too hard. And those old men saying, yeah, everybody's been here. Everybody does this. Everybody suffers through this. It's how you grow up. But see, if you never have that responsibility, you never have that failure, you never see where the boundaries are, and you never learn what you need to be to be able to do the, the job. And so I've heard it said before, wait to get married till you're 30, because you, you don't even know who you are till you're, till you're 40, so get started at 30. Well, there's wisdom in saying, you know, get a basic set of skills together, but until you start riding the bicycle, you have no idea about gyroscopic forces, it's all theoretical knowledge. Um, I'm convinced that marriage is for young people, and old people. It's for all people, uh, once we have the ability to support a wife, gentlemen, which would be what I would say is the kind of the, the thing, like, can you support her? Then maybe that's the time to start thinking about doing that. What I'm saying in first bullet is character building benefits of responsibility and duty. You have personal growth and maturity that happens to a man by virtue of taking a wife and being serious about his job. Have you ever thought to thank your wife for giving you that? Nobody. No, of course not. You have made me a different person by virtue of saying yes to me that you would marry me. You have given me a greater sense of maturity, a greater growth, a greater development than I would have had because I took on the real responsibility of being a husband. And what about the little boys that won't marry? They won't assume that responsibility. I'm talking about the grown little boys. They're just keeping their options open and they're enjoying the benefits. They're not really... See, this is a benefit they'll never have. They have sexual benefits, they think, but they don't have this benefit that God has designed for marriage. I'd say hand-in-hand with that uh, character development is humility. 
Remember that 16-year-old that thought he was hot stuff before day three of camp and now he's all crying? That's part of the process is learning when God gives me responsibility doesn't mean I necessarily deserve it. And I can't do this. And I'm broken and I need, some, I need God. And God, you have your way in my life, in my marriage, with my wife, with me. Have your way. I'm done saying that I will have my way. That basic sense of Christian humility. And with that goes the skill of being self-disregarding. You remember that self-sacrificial love? Doesn't look in my bucket. What is she? Where's my, where's my stuff? Where, where's my respect? Where's my love for my wife? No, you don't look at you. She's supposed to look at that. You look at her. What, what, what needs to go into her bucket? What can you do for her? And that, that's a skill that I think marriage hones, doesn't it? Right? Because it's so hard not to look in my own bucket. Right? It's so hard not to, well, what am I getting out of this? Let's, let's do some accounting. That's not what you're, you're, you're count for yourself. Account for her bucket. That's your job, not for what you get from her. I think that we get satisfaction and joy out of marriage in a way that we don't think about. We think about the wife is a good thing. We want a wife and it's com- companionship and all that. We'll talk about that. But just think about this. If you are getting it right and she doesn't even like you. <laughs> some of you are like, that, does that happen in marriage? Yeah. A lot. She doesn't even like you. But you're doing your job as unto the Lord and you know you're getting it right for him. There is satisfaction there that I can't even describe. As you know, it's the joy of getting it right. The satisfaction in a job well done. Now what's the downside of being a husband? We, we've, we've listed some benefits of just being a husband, being the kind of person that is now the husband of a wife. What is the downside? Well, you, she, she's, she comes with all kinds of secret baggage you didn't know about right all of them all of them have secret baggage when i say all of them i'm talking to the men ladies about you you're like i'll tell you a thing or two about secret baggage can you believe the stuff that i found out about him after i said yes to this knucklehead okay we're all that way everybody's an iceberg and we've got our beautiful sculptured you know portion above the water and then all the nasty is below the water level and it gets kind of icy when we start seeing what we're really in for, the, the, the real picture of my new responsibilities. Well, first of all, before you start talking about what a wife does in terms of bringing extra trouble that he hasn't experienced before, he just has to be restricted in terms of his personal comfort and freedom. When a man loves a woman... <laughs> He sacrificed all his comforts and sleep out in the rain just because she said it should be that way. I can't sing it, but um, that, to love her self-sacrificially means sometimes I've got to put myself out. We only brought one coat. Guess who gets it? She gets it. But I'm cold. Yeah, but she's cold, so she gets the coat. That's self-sacrificial love. And so you can't do what you feel like doing all the time. It's very constricting to bring another person into your situation and accommodate them. But that's what you have to do. Now you could say, wait, that adds to your character, so that's a benefit. And I agree, but I'm just saying, count the cost. Because just being able to do whatever I want whenever I want isn't true when you have a wife or children. You've got responsibilities that stop you from uh, I mean, you have to add more, calcula- more thoughts to your calculation. Well, what are we going to do today? Well, I know what we have to include in that thought process is what sanctifies and edifies my wife and children. 
So it, it's, a, it's a downside in terms of freedom. It also means that you have to put up with another person's sin nature, and that hurts. Not only do they show you your sin nature, that's the benefit of actually having a wife, is she shows you yourself. I don't like that benefit, that she shows me my weaknesses, and I don't want to have to face them, but she's constantly, just by being there, I, I see them, right? I'm skipping. Let's, let's stay on the benefits of, or the downside of having a wife. She has a sinful nature, and she sins, and she sins against you, and that's down, that's, it hurts. Oh, yeah, we want that. No, we don't want that. It's, it hurts, but you do to her, and so this is the downside of marriage, really. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, uh, be careful by getting married because it will restrict your ability to serve God because you'll be worried about serving your wife instead of serving God. And so that's where Paul says it would be better if you could be like I am. And we think, I think probably widowed is what he means by that. I don't think he means Paul was a celibate. I think it means he was a widow, widower, um, probably. The Bible doesn't address it. But uh, there are a lot of other options besides never, ever married bachelor for life. When you say, I'm not married, I wish you could be as I am. Nevertheless, uh, be careful about that. And by the way, my answer to Uncle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 about don't marry if you can help it because you'll be distracted from your mission is get on mission and then marry so that you can work together in the mission. And that answers the question of does she distract me from ministry? No, we work on it together. She's my help in the mission God gave me, so now I have a help me to do the work. All right, so that's the downside of being a husband. Let's talk about the benefits of having a wife, honoring God's blessing of wife. Remember, we read in uh, 1914 that the wife is a blessing from God. (laughs) The first benefit is that one that hurts. It's that medicine, that surgery God gave you. Every husband and wife, when you married, you got a surgeon <laughs> of the soul. <laughs> because surgeon, see what a surgeon does. He cuts good, good tissue to get to bad tissue. To save your life, he cuts through some good stuff to, to remove the bad stuff, and it hurts. You know, That's what a surgeon does, and, and it's awful to think of having to do that, at least the cutting the good part. I'm all about removing the bad part, but it hurts. It's painful, and we have post-op surgery recovery. Right? But that's what a wife and a, and a husband do for one another. The benefit of having a spouse, and this is work for both of you, is the sanctification of honest communication. Guess what always gets fouled in marriage? What's the, what's the point? Communications. They get broken. We can't talk to each other. You can't hear me. I say the slightest thing to you, and then you get angry, and then I'm angry at you for you getting angry at me, and we never, ever got to what we needed to talk about. Right? And so this is the benefit. This is the benefit. One of the great benefits of marriage is if you get past the sinful reactions to seeing yourself as you are, that other person shows you a mirror of yourself that you couldn't have seen without some help. That's how we are. Jesus said it. John, or Matthew 7. Remember the plank in the eye versus the speck in the eye? Or the log or the, the beam. However you want to translate that now. I like to say railroad tie. The idea in judging someone else is that they have a speck in their eye, but you have a log, a a beam sticking out of your eye. So you're absurd for saying, hey, uh, your eyes are open when you're praying. You're like, hey, you're sitting there naked. You're you're throwing food on the wall. But his eyes are open when we're praying. 
See, that it's crazy that you, you're, you're worried about a little thing and you're doing a big thing is the point. And the reason I bring this up is, is Jesus is saying, you don't even see your own log. And you're, you're trying to squint through it to see the other person's little speck. And the, what he does, he says, take out your own log first so that you can see to help your neighbor with his, with his little mite in his eye. And that, that means, I think, that we tend to be blind to our log. I think that I would take an implication from that. We're blind to the thing about us. If you, if you ask your wife, you want to have some, some, a, new ter- a new chapter in your marriage? <laughs> have a little marital refreshment? Spend a little time, spend about an hour in prayer first where you're really walking with God and you're humbling yourself before him and saying, I know I'm a sinner, I'm broken. I'm nothing good in me except what, what the Lord Jesus is doing with me through the Holy Spirit, right? And you, you tell the truth about yourself and you stop thinking that you're good and right in yourself. And then you go to your spouse and say, what's the plank? What, am I don't, what did I not see about myself? And once they, they're like, you don't really want to know, do you? <laughs> once you actually can hear the truth about that question, um, You'll probably, you'll probably learn things that you knew but you haven't looked at in a long time and you don't want to look at. It's, it's a great benefit. The sanctification of honest communication. Of course, when we get married, we have companionship, we have affection, have someone to do things with, and etc. is double underlined and in bold. All the benefits and blessings that people tend to think of that is marriage, that they say, well, we can do all these things without actually committing to the institution of marriage. Friends with benefits, as they say, which misses the whole point of all those blessings. Those blessings are part of the transaction, part of the whole picture of this covenant, of this commitment. I've helped, I've written help in bold because a wife is given to a man as his helpmeet. And uh, today in English, when we say the help, we mean a second-class citizen, we mean somebody that is a, a domestic servant. It's more like sla- slavery or servitude to, to talk about the help than to say someone that's a fellow heir of life, as First uh, Peter 3, 7 says. But let's don't do that with the word azer in uh, Hebrew in Genesis chapter 2 when God says first, his first name for a woman is azer konegdo, a suitable helper for him. And let me just run that down a little closer. Azer is to help, is the help, someone that helps. Almost always, if it's referring to a person in the Old Testament, that word is referring to Yahweh, to God, your help. Almost always. But here, God provides help as the Azer. He helps by giving wife. Not so that she will be worshipped by her husband, but so that we'll recognize we need someone to help us in what we're trying to do. Konegdo. Ke is the preposition in front of a word in Hebrew that means like. Or something like like. When we first year Hebrew, we learned to say like for ka. Neged is opposite, the place opposite. So you're standing in front, and, and there, I've got eyes here, she's got eyes there. And there's, there's the opposite number, we would kind of say. And do of him. Or o, the o ending is him. So alike or fitting, appropriate opposite of him is what konegdo means a help who is fitting or appropriate or opposite to him and you can see that physically and how we're made physically you can see that in how we are made spiritually 
in that beautiful and mysterious interrelation between the, the immaterial part of you and the material part of you. In other words, I don't think a man has a man's body and an, an interchangeable soul. I think man is man in his body, soul, spirit. I think woman is woman in her body, soul, spirit. And so there is a correspondence, a complementary opposite. And so what she's there for as the complementary opposite is his help in God's design of woman in Genesis chapter 2. And so this is the benefit that most men totally disregard. One way we disregard it is we compete with our wives. She wants to do this, but we want to do this. So now we're in competition for who can make the best case. And we don't think about what are her strengths, what are my weaknesses and strengths, how do we complement one another, we can get together and use our resources together toward a common objective. So we're, we really are, are bad at teamwork. But the more you think about this, that she's your help, the more you see, okay, I have a lot of power. I've got a lot of, of, of uh, resources that I, that I didn't otherwise have. And now what? And now what? Now don't abuse it. Don't say, well, we've got, uh, we've got an engine that runs on eight cylinder, has eight cylinder engine, and um, she's got four and I've got four to make this thing run and, and then just lay out and then try to perform as an eight-cylinder vehicle with four cylinders running. That's a bad mechanical illustration, except I know there was one vehicle that did that. You could shut down four and run, run on four a few years back. Chevy did that? The Cadillac did that? Awful. Yeah. So it is a good illustration. Even when, even when GM tried it, it doesn't work. All right? So what you have to do is everybody has to do their, their, their load. And so managing that, like, here, how can I make sure that I'm doing my part and, 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 how's, and, and how can I encourage and equip her to do her part? Do yours. Run with the ball. Be the example. Sometimes you might say, hey, are we all doing the same? But don't abuse that help factor. A lot of men abuse that. A lot of men are waiting for their slippers. A lot of men are like, oh, good, she's my help, so she's the help, so she can be my servant. And that's not how we get mission done, by sitting around on our duff having someone... Uh, Drop, uh, drop grapes gently upon our tongue while they fan us with some palm fronds. Right? It's, that's, that's stupid. So she's not your help for you to be, to be the help. She's your help because you've got work to do and you're, ba- you're bailing water and you need help bailing water. You're, you have work that is critical and, um, and, or you're in the middle of construction and you need help doing it. All right. And of course, we can summarize by honoring what God did when he made woman, the wonderful, indescribable gift of womanhood. Woman is different from man, 1 Peter 3, 3, 1 through 7. Woman is different from man, and yet God, because he loves, you, loves us, gave us a wife. And it's a, it, you can, we can write all day and think all day about the benefits of what that means. But um, again... I want to do the, the, the opposite message to this, kind of the complimentary message and say, look how popular morality and, and uh, social justice warrior ideology take away all the blessings and benefits of marriage. Try to make women interchangeable with men. Well, there's no benefit now to having the opposite. There's no, there's no blessing to the, to the beautiful um, opposition of bitter and sweet gentlemen bitter and women sweet um, of having the diversity everyone wants to talk about diversity well this is the ultimate biblical diversity is women are different 
And it's an awesome thing God did when he gave us a wife. We have all these benefits of having a wife. And I think men, we tend to look at these things and that's what we mean by benefits of getting married. But we forget that first paragraph of the benefits of being a husband. That I can be somebody that if I thought about it, this is the man I'd like to be. As Jack Nicholson once said, you make me want to be a better man. You make me want to be a better man. This is the idea of the improvement of the individual because of the institution. But we do have these benefits of having a wife because God has blessed us so greatly. So now let's switch from thinking about what do I get out of it in terms of my own self-development or in terms of getting a wife. Or you can flip it around, ladies, your self-development as a wife or in terms of getting a husband. And let's start thinking about what is the secret to being the person you're supposed to be. It's being beneficial. It's being a benefit to the other. And that goes hand in hand with considering your benefits. In Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, the way you're going to be a benefit to your wives, gentlemen, is to love her self-sacrificially, especially through communication for her that brings her to you. Communication for her that brings her to you. And, it, and since this is the spirit-filled Christian marriage, sanctifies her before God, brings her to the Lord. Don't mean you're going to be her pastor, but I mean you're going to be a spiritual leader. And you're going to do this so that you can have her for yourself and so that God can have her in the spiritual sense uh, as someone who's drawing near to him. And so that's the secret of 525 and 26. Self-sacrificial love will involve communication. I know one thing for sure. If you're going to communicate anything of substance, it takes preparation. If you're going to, take anything, if you're going to communi- communicate anything of value, you're going to have to work on it. You're going to have to prepare for it. This message is 30 years in the making. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes forethought. It takes planning. You don't just fall into this. This isn't programmed or scheduled by somebody outside where you just, this is what we do. You actually have to think this through and be committed. How are we men equipped to communicate successfully to our wives? What are our training? What training do we have in communications? Think about it. We start teaching people to read in this civilization as soon as we possibly can. Some say, say, I would agree, probably a little bit late. But it's, it's a cultural norm that everybody needs to learn to read. It's a cultural norm. Everybody needs to learn to write. Everyone needs to learn to think critically, not just to read words, but to understand what they mean and have comprehension. Education is all preparation for communication. What are we getting in our education today? I'm getting, I'm hearing a lot of communication. A lot of talking points about the, the relative merits of socialism, for example, that we're hearing from all the, the people that are being produced by our Ivy League schools and, and other institutions. And they're communicators. They may, they may not be critical thinkers, but they are definitely communicating uh, the new morality. We're going to talk about the new morality a little bit next hour. But... Um, I think all of life, from the very beginning when you first start speaking, because God does this miracle where the baby learns to speak for the first time, a language that they haven't learned yet, and their brain intuits all that's necessary to have a fully functional language. I think that this is the beginning of preparation to be a husband who communicates and so loves his wife self-sacrificially. I think every time we assemble and we hear the word and we're being equipped to communicate, to say, Maybe just to ask the question, what if you're wrong? Maybe that's your communication this week. What if your view is wrong? 
And God really does have a claim on your actions. He really is going to evaluate your life. You see, um, you're all being equipped to communicate by virtue of this communication now. Hopefully, in a model, in a model, in an example for you, that would be fitting. For example, not harsh, not overbearing. I'm, I'm very careful about this. It's fun to preach overbearingly, to, to be harsh in your preaching. It's fun. I will tell you how it is, and you will know because I will tell you, and once I've told you, you will have known. And, and that, you know, some of us, that strikes a nerve of comfort because we're now a little more certain. But the authority isn't me or my conviction, and I'm not asking you to borrow my convictions. See, I'm, what I'm doing, everything I'm doing is trying to model something that we're supposed to be respectful of one another and there are individual responsibilities to God, and yet my respect for you is subordinate to my respect and fear for the Lord. And it really derives from him. He's made you in his image and he wants you to serve him with your own choices. So I'm going to respect that. You see, that's, that's a model. But this is all exemplary, int- intended to be exemplary communication for this task of loving your wife and how you speak to her. And so you are being equipped. You're being constantly trained. Our church men should be the best at loving their wives by talking to them in a way and encouraging them and communicating the back and forth with them in a way that sanctifies them and brings them to ourselves. We should be awesome at it. But you'd have to be aware of this responsibility to even take note that, wait a second, I've been training all my life for this and I might be missing it. I need to do this well. I think if you want to be a beneficial husband to your wife, you always have to keep an eye on the eternal future while assessing and guiding in the present. You're always looking with an eternal perspective, but you're looking at the present for how that's impacting the future. In other words, how are my choices, and since I'm leading her, how are her choices going to stack up at the judgment seat of Christ? That's the most important question a husband can ask himself in terms of how will we communicate, what will we do, how will we set the priorities, how will I lead this household and this wife? Always keeping an an eternal perspective. Well, that was the last one. Do you have a good mental image of the judgment seat of Christ? Do you have a, an idea about what it's like? Have you thought, spent a little time thinking about this, praying about this? God, give me this, give me a sense of the urgency and drama of this event. There is no further judgment after this judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 portrays this thing where you're, you're, judged, you're, you're judged for your deeds. Hopefully you know that one by heart. The things you've done in the body, whether good or bad, being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you, um, are you, it's hard for this to be real to us sometimes. Sometimes we want to think about this thing as, yeah, it's in the future. Yeah, it's, it's unattainable. I can't, I'm not going to stand there today, so I might as well not think about it. But think about, um, I'm looking around the room here. Some of you are probably a little young to do this, but think about when you were 30 and how much life you thought you had left. Look at your life now and think back to that day when you were like, oh, I've got a long time. Isn't that a dramatic way to think about how fast things are going? 
Friends, the judgment seat of Christ is tomorrow. I mean, it's this evening. It's happening before you can think about it. And so you have your appointment. You got your ticket. I don't know what number you are, but God does, where you're going to go up and step up there and be evaluated. And so does your wife, right? And um, I, if I think about this a little bit, I can start to get a little bit of a sense of urgency, a little bit of agitation, a little bit of apprehension about this. Have you ever been up on a stage with the lights and the big old crowd? I very rarely ever had occasion to do that. Band in, in school as a kid, there was some of that. But there was always this feeling of getting up in front of people and they're all looking at me. It's, it's kind of horrifying. Some of you would be very frightened by that. Others would be like, ah, I've done that before. But I want you to ramp that up to an infinite degree and say there's only one person looking at you. <laughs> He's the one who's been watching all along. And uh, he's about to say this is the, the consequence of the choices. In other words, the judgment seat of Christ needs to be with me every moment of my life. Because that is what is under observation. And before I know it, he's going to tell me what he thinks. And so it's not stage fright. It's awe. It's fear of God. If you will have the right eschatology. See, eschatology, the doctrine of the last things has been so misunderstood because it either is, well, we can't really know anything from, from prophecy. We just know God's going to sort, sort it all out, which has been the, really most of church history, 1,700 years, that's what they did. 1,500 years until we started looking at prophecy again. Or we get worried about the sensational things, the big ideas that are dramatically compelling in the prophetic scriptures, like the beast rising out of the sea in Rev 12, or, or who are the witnesses and um, and, uh, and the two witnesses in Revelation, and what's this demon army of, of locusts with scorpion tails? Uh, what, what is that? You know, all that imagery that you have in Revelation, or the rapture, or the, you know, the, the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, the trump of God, and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And uh, this is dramatic and sensational and, uh, and catchy and flashy, and we think that's what prophecy's about. And you start preaching on that, and people start, oh, Oh, we can, we can start talking about the end times and the end time days and, and all that. But eschatology is right here for you. Your big end state that you need to keep your eyes on every moment is the judgment seat of Christ. The king is going to say, this is what you did with the resources I gave you. It's coming. It is an evaluation that you cannot get away from. And when you think about that for you, good. You don't want to waste your eternal destiny, your, your opportunity to serve with Christ in greater and greater capacities based on your performance now. You don't want to waste that opportunity, but you don't want your wife to waste that opportunity either. You don't want her to miss out on what God wants for her. And so loving someone and looking at God's best for them from an eternal perspective that really takes this judgment seriously is going to have that weight. Now, maybe she doesn't think that way. Maybe you want to help your wife with this and she doesn't want help with this. You have to be wise. You cannot bring someone somewhere they don't want to go. It's not, it's not your job. But I'm supposed to be the head, I know, and, and you're not gonna, you, you two aren't getting anywhere fast. And so maybe it's prayer. Maybe you just have to be in prayer for her about this. But this is the ultimate for her, is a believer in Jesus Christ is going to face a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. A person that doesn't know Christ is going to be judged for his works or her works at the great white throne judgment. And everyone at that one goes to the lake of fire. Everyone at the, great, at the judgment seat of Christ goes, spends eternity with Christ in the new heavens and new earth, but 
depending on how that goes, that's your rewards and the level of responsibility he places on you in the kingdom. So what do you need as a, as a loving husband? You need to think about that. You need to communicate in that direction. And it, it may just be this. It may be just this one thing. Don't do and say things that you know are designed by you to make her angry. Don't do those things that you know agitate her because you're bored or because this is a weakness that you don't like about her or something and you want to you work on it. You want to you beat up on this a little bit. I don't mean physically, obviously. I mean you just want to pick on her. Don't do those things. Do not provoke your wife in any way to personal sin. If you've got a thing with your wife where you like to gossip about people, and it's your fun little thing where we don't talk about things of value much, but we like to talk about other people together. It's a common thing. Stop that. Anything that directs your wife to personal sin, you need to avoid. You need to sanctify her. Because the judgment seat of Christ is going to account for what you said and what you did with your life. Right? So we have to, that's the thought. That's the way to think about this. I've got a wife. God wants me to sanctify her as I am able. That's my job. And that's what really loving her amounts to. You've got to do a lot of t- time with the Lord on this. You have to think about this as you're going to consider how to communicate with her. And um, <clears throat> ultimately, seek to be a benefit to her. Heavenly Father, we do love you for giving us marriage. We love you because of the blessings you provided us for your design in this sacred institution and how you sanctify us through it. I thank you for the special privilege you've given us in Christian marriage where husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to function in the role uh, like the church to the Lord, to submit to their husbands. And that this picture gives us a gospel responsibility in how we conduct our marriages. Father, help us all take to heart the individual responsibility component and the sense of reminding ourselves and remembering why she is a blessing to me and in remembering why we are to be a blessing to them. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.